Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, to move on to something that was one of the reasons for the contact you at first, we had just two pals, Gordon and Enon. Uh, from uh, the Founders Trail guys um, a few weeks ago. And the content of that, we could have probably done two, three podcasts just on it. And we spoke about the book. So that was when the contact is starting. They probably could probably do two years on that alone. Um, so when did you, were you working at the record when you? I was, I was, I was working at the record. Just so folk know. No, I, I, I was working, um, I was working. Some I was, folk I, were talking I, about the Gallant Pioneer book, uh, which it. was written by Gary. Uh, when was that, the first one done? 2009. So this is the fourth or the fifth edition. Just because, one of the things that I, I knew, because um, I, I was really keen when the first one was produced, that I, I made a point of saying, and there's some errors in the first one, none more so than saying that um, Tom Valance was related to Stanley Matthews, which isn't the case, although I understand that um, Tom Valance's descendants still think there is a link there. But anyway, um, so I always knew there was going to be mistakes. So, But that was just the nature of, of writing what we did. So that's why we've done. So this book, the 150th anniversary edition, I think is the closest that we'll get um, to the to the, to the to the full truth about the, the, the history of the formation of Rangers. I decided to take it on as a project. And you maybe uh, appreciate this. When you're, a, when you're a journalist, particularly a tabloid journalist, you're writing a a lot of words a day, but very few of them stick. You're at press conferences, football games, you know, so you don't always get time to kind of stop and think and reflect and, oh, that was a good piece. Because, you know, it, it's, it, to, paraphrase, to paraphrase Pedro, the caravan moves on, eh? So, um, so I always wanted to kind of be left, leave a, a, some kind of legacy. And I like history, you know, I like football history. And, um, and it was just the Rangers story. Um, it, there's nothing as powerful as, I, as an idea whose time has come, right? And Ranger's story was there to be told. It needed research. It needed a lot of research. And um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I did that. <clears throat> I'm going to take Ian slightly to task here, right? But I'm going to caveat it by what I then go on to say. Because I met Ian and Gordon around about the 2006, 7, 8 period. 
So, so, so you started your research? I'd started my research. Help with David um, Mason yeah, as well, yeah. that I was working with at the time. David did a lot of great work on William McBeath, for example, finding the story of William McBeath and how he ended up in Bristol in the southwest of England and his um, subsequent um, trial for fraud. That was David's work. But the majority of the work... Um, you know, I, I can remember going to London, going to places like the uh, Twickenham, the Rugby Museum, going to the um, National Archives at Kew, going to the Greenwich Village for Peter Campbell, going to the British Museum, going to all these places, going to Lincoln, up and down to Ross Neath, um, all these just shoe leather stuff, right? Um, Mitchell Library as well, graveyards, um, you know, <laughs> saying to my four-year-old son, listen, we're going to Craigton Cemetery today, and he's like, but I brought fl fl flowers for the, for the McNeil grave because I just found out where it was. So probably about 75%, I would say, and, I, and, and, and yeah, he would say that anyway, 75% of that, the new research in that first book, 80%, was my research, right? It was my research. However, the reason that Gordon and Ian's name is on this edition, this the latest edition, is because I doth my cap to no one more than Ian and Gordon in particular over the last 10 years for the work that they have done, not just in terms of the Founders Trail, but for the work that they have done on the um, History of Rangers to the point where I think, and it's Gordon's research, um, I am, find it absolutely compelling the argument that Rangers were formed in 1872 and went through a, 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 a probably two or three names before probably around about September 1873, having been known as the Club Western, decided to change their name to Rangers. My payback for this, because you know, you, you know, the, the reason that I, I could, I struggled to get a publisher interested. Right, there's no money in history, nobody's interested. Right, and it, but I says that's that's garbage, you know. And a lot of people have fortunately picked up the book over the years. Um, but the the great thing for me was not long after. And by the way, I've got 1872. People think Gallant Pioneers 1872. 1872 had been written about you know, many, many times before, not least by Robert McElroy and, 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 and uh, uh, Bob Ferrier, you know, who, you know, and, and all the books that Robert had done and Stephen Halliday as well had done a, a lot of work in the early years history. But Robert in particular, you know, 1872 was kind of, it, it, it had long been established. We, I just kind of brought it back to the fore again. Um, and I remember Carol Patton. You remember Carol, who was the, the comms officer for Rangers for many years. She phoned me around about 2010 and says, Gary, a lovely story. She says, Sandy Jardin has decided that, or has put forward that as a result on the back of the book, that they change the formation of the club on the Govan stand, the Sandy Jardin stand, from 1873 to 1872 on the back of, the, on the back of this book. But 1872 had been mentioned before that that wasn't the work of the Gallant Pioneers, but this, as I said, brought it to the fore. And so it was my thrill, and it will be forever my thrill. This is the one takeaway that I have, have got from it. And I took my boy to a, 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 a game, and I said, listen, see up there, says 1872. Says they changed that because you're old man's book. And that's <laughs> something nice to say. Um, and Ian's got the... Ian's got the the Edmiston Drive sign as well. Remember they were pulling down the houses in Edmiston Drive about 10, 15 years ago, 
right? Cross is cr just across from the main stand, yeah, right? yeah, behind the, the goal, the the, behind the goal at the plastic pitch, yeah. yeah. And up there, there was a sign Edmiston Drive, and I noticed it was it was it was like a, it was like a rotten tooth. The one last building there, I was at a game on a Saturday working. And I says they're pulling that down, so I, I made a point and up to off the record on the Monday, and then there was a couple of guys about, and I says to one of the guys, I pulled a score out my pocket, and I says, listen, any chance of that nameplate up there at Edmiston Drive? And he looks at me, he says, of course. So he's up with the crowbar and Jimmy that half, and I gave him twenty quid. He says, no, you don't have to give me that. I says, no, I do. There you go. I really appreciate that. I no problem, mate. There you go. And so I walked away with a sign plate for Edmiston Drive that had stood up there for so many years. I told Ian Locke that story. You know Ian very well. Ian's a great Rangers historian, you know, and a, a great collector of memorabilia. But actually, I gave that to, 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 to Ian McCall, got it all done up. So Ian's got that original sign of Edmiston Drive um, framed, at, 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 I think it's in his house. But I gave it to him because the work that Ian and Gordon have done to keep alive the founding fathers of Rangers has just been tremendous. And the night that they helped to organise at Ibrox, not long after the book was published, um, or, you know, with Heather and Doreen, um, who were Peter McNeil's granddaughters, it will, it will long live for me. It was a, it was, it was a great yeah. night celebrating the, the early years of the, 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 the club. So when, when, when did you get the inspiration, I'm going to do this? I think it was just an, ins I think it was a desire, as I touched on earlier, to write something that was going to be lasting. And so it was a case of give me a project because you know, as journalists, we get approached all the time going to write this book, going to write that book. Football players' autobiographies, unless they're exceptional, are Roy Keane or even like a Cascarino or a you know a Perlo, something that takes you out the out the ordinary. Um, they're, they're fairly formulaic, and uh, truth be told, I don't really find a lot of them a great read. You know, it's you know, and then I run my choosers up the flagpole of the hotel night before a cup final, all that stuff, right? Um, so I wanted to do something that would last. I wanted to have something that in a hundred years, I'm not being funny, when I'm long gone, somebody will look at that and say, Oh, Gary, I wonder who he was. So it was an ego thing, right? Um, but if you've not got an ego, you're a wino, um, as I've long said. Um, and so I just Chapter by chapter, character by character, I just decided to to see how far I could get, as I said originally, with great help for David Mason, on um on the, finding the, the 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 story behind the the, so the kids. Would, would that been about what? Two thousand and six, probably two thousand and so two thousand five, two thousand and six. You've started your research. You two bizarrely met each other in strange circumstances. So how did you I remember the first time I met Ian, he phoned me, and I was... Football historians are, are a peculiar bunch, right? See, until you get to know somebody, you're not really wanting to share what you know because you never know what's, yeah. you know, somebody's going to run away and, you know, you've worked... It's just it's, it's human nature. You've worked so hard and you've not quite revealed what you're wanting yet found because you're writing that book. So you know what? And, and this is kind of just about pre-social media age as well, but the last thing you want is to go and tell somebody something and then they put it up on social media and say, oh, I can reveal that, you know, the McNeils are this, that, and the next thing. So Ian had contacted me and he said, and we just had a wee chat and I says, I like the cut of this guy's jib. You know, Sorry, I like did, where he's coming from. what you were doing at the time? Did they know you were Aye, they kind of, they did. For, for whatever reason, I think they probably did. And, you know, and, and I, I can't quite remember, but I do remember saying to Ian, I, okay, I'll show you some of what I've got, right? Um, because you sound like a good guy. And so I did. And I remember taking them up to, and it's, it's now a, 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 obviously a, a major part of the tour. And I says, right, I'll meet you at the McNeil's grave. And he's like, great, where is it? I says, it's Craigton Cemetery. We'll walk there um, and I'll show you where it is. And so we went up there and we had a chat and I've kind of 
So, don't get me wrong. Graham and Gordon contributed um, quite a lot to the to the to, to the first book. You know, they were they were. But I'd been up and down in London and you know Twickenham and to find out all Cox annuals. Um, you know, it, it, as I said, the Maritime Museum to find out the records for the um, you know for 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 for, for Peter Campbell, find it in left from Parath Docks, find the the name of the SS Columba, all that kind of stuff, St Columba, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as I said, in the last ten years, Gordon and Ian's um, research has been exceptional, and that's why their names are on the front of the 150th anniversary because no one deserves it more. Yeah. So, and this is what I think is just bizarre with the whole Ranger story. There's a lot of things that just seem to happen, and you might not be able to comprehend exactly why or where, or whatever. But your three years ended up together, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so the first book came out, oh eight, did you say? Oh nine. Oh nine. And then the last one came out last year. So how much has it changed from edition one to edition four? What sort of percentage of books and new stuff? I, 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 I don't think at heart it's changed, right? But every edition that we've done, and we felt it was important to do an 150th anniversary edition for obvious reasons, right? Um, and it's still to my, I, I still think we should have organised a sponsor's walk or, in, or, or a jog or something like that around Kelvin Grove Park in the February of 2022. That's a kind of regret. I mean, I, I would like to have done something about that, but anyway, time moves on. Um, so I think that there's probably maybe about 20% of the book has changed just as right? new research has, has, has become available and stuff has to be rewritten and you know you become aware of wee facts and you, you know the William McBeath picture um, comes to the fore um, I still think it's incredible Craig that in 2023 that we still as far as I know I've not checked with, um, with her with her niece uh, Val but we've still got Doreen Holland who's 94 years old and lives in Sussex she's the granddaughter of Peter McNeil the founder of Rangers still Football alive. Club I found the granddaughter of a founder of Rangers Football Club yeah. is still alive um, and, that, and that's astonishing. And again, I've got to tip my hat to Jeff Holmes. You'll know Jeff who's done a lot yeah, of work in Rangers. Jeff, well, yeah. Jeff, Jeff's a great guy. I, I tracked down um, Peter McNeil's granddaughters um, and, and I managed through my research and I, and I got them and, um, and, I, and I phoned them and I said, blah, 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 and smashing. And then a couple of weeks later, and it was only a couple of weeks, yeah, I think it was Heather that phoned me and says, Gary, I've had somebody on the phone. Um, say that they're a Rangers historian. They've managed to track me down as well, and it was Jeff. So Jeff was kind of work. So I says, come on, and it was kind of like first come, first first come, first serve. Jeff knew the project that was involved in. He was like, no, Gary, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything with it. He's yours. So I owe Jeff a debt of gratitude as well, you know. Another local boy aye. over here. Aye, aye. Jeff's a, Jeff's a, Jeff's, Jeff, Jeff's a good sort. Um, so I, I really, really appreciated that. And, um, you know, but as I said, Gordon and Ian pushing for things like the 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 commemoration at the Glasgow Green, yeah. you know, pushing for the plaque at Penarth, the magnificent work of the Rangers, um, uh, the, the, the 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 grave restorations as well. It's it's it's, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. And as I say, Gordon's um, research, first of all, in identifying a picture, um, a line drawn picture of William McBeath, from which we could then reference the the the, the actual picture itself. Um, yeah, it's it's marvellous, and I just hope with the opening of the new museum imminent and about to happen, I just hope that you know that these guys are given their you know are given a bit of recognition for the work that they do. 
Um, you know, because I, 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 I think that as well as Player of the Year awards, it's long been a, a, a opinion of mine that, that, that Rangers should organise a kind of supporters of the year or, or supporters that have contributed. And 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 Gordon and Ian would be would, would be right up there for me for the work that they have done to remind people of the real reason for the formation of Rangers Football Club. So you started writing this book four or five years in, in research, and I'd imagine being a journalist and having that inquisitive mind, your research would have started before it even officially started. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? So all the, the sort of bits of information you found, what was the nugget for you? What was the, 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 the jewel in the crown? What was the, the thing that you remember that you think was the most interesting? I, I think it was, pro well, the, I, the, the way I approached it is you've got four guys, well, five guys, because you never... I, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In fact, Tom Valance is arguably as uh, important as uh, Peter McNeil, Moses, and um, uh, and Peter Campbell. Sadly, with his death, and William disappeared off the scene. So, you know, Tom Valance can't be uh, um, can his role, although he wasn't there in February or March eighteen seventy two. Um, don't ever. Please underestimate his 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 thing. So his contribution. So it was a case of taking each character, and it was just trying to kind of build a jigsaw piece by piece by piece. Um, res historical research is fascinating because you get a wee glimmer or something. You maybe get a wee date that coincides with this, or a wee date that coincides with that. I remember finding a census that showed that um, that um, William Macbeth lived in the same close as the McNeil brothers, and suddenly you're thinking. Ah, so that's the connection. That's how they knew each other. Rangers, the first game was against Calendar. Ah, William McBeth, out to going out to Calendar, out to the Waverley Hotel, found out actually local historians out there were great. Went to visit the grave of his mother and his father, which is still out there, obviously in the old graveyard. Um, was told that Ken Stott, you know, who played Rebus, the actor, although he's a, a jambo, a big jambo, he's actually got a distant relation through William McBeath as well. So I always mean it's, that if I ever see Ken Stott, I'm going to tell him he's supporting the ranked team, he should be a Rangers man because he's, he's, he's related to one of the founders. Um, so 
there was there was wee bits like that finding you know going down to the, um, the maritime museum finding what you think are the documents you need getting them sent to you opening them up and finding things like a big log from the saint columba with peter campbell's name on it and scored out from 1883 deceased you know drowned at sea things like that that suddenly um, the, then you just start to build a picture. William Macbeth's going down to Lincoln, finding out the poor house that he lived at, finding out the streets that he lived in, finding out ultimately where he was buried. Um, things like that. They were, they were, they were, they were. They gave a great degree of professional pride, but they were also kind of heartbreaking as well. But you hoped that in bringing this to the fore again, you would remind people just about the the the, the young boys. It was how young they were. Just you know, fifteen years old, and they decided. To, Start a football team, you know. Stuart McDonald, the House of Fraser, um, you know, John Stewart, giving them their first ball, you know, the links with, you know, even the links with Glasgow, you know, swinish inebriation, um, full drunkenness in every corner. This is historians writing about Glasgow in the 1870s, you know, just as equally can apply to 2023, you know, 50,000 drunks and uh, arrests for drunkenness every year in Glasgow in that period is probably the same now. The reason that we call the, 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 the word for being drunk in Glasgow steaming is because it's got Peter Campbell's family and extended friends who used to run the the the, the steamers up and down from the Broomy Law, up and down to the Gearlock and places like that on a Sunday because you were drink was forbidden to be drinking a Sunday. Aye, so, so everybody would go on, so so you would go and so you wanted to go for a bevy with your mate on a Sunday, you had to go on the steamboats and go to Rue or go to, you know, wherever it may well be, Rothsey. And you just basically get steaming and it comes through steamboats and Peter wow. Campbell's family were all linked with that as well. You know? Well, See, chapping on a woman's door in uh, in Clinder. And to have her say, I, I remember Moses for when I was a wee lassie. Now, that woman will be That's long amazing. gone now, you know. Um, the McGrowther brothers who ran the boatyard down in um, uh, down in uh, Kilcreggan as well. Those guys will be will be gone now as well, sadly. But they all remembered Moses when he was a wee boy. So you felt that you were just getting there in time. Because these people were in their late 80s. So you're just getting there in time, you know. No, I think, uh, listen to you all those things, interesting things that you've been in, things that you're trying to uncover. I think it's actually pretty amazing when you're saying that that started in 2004 and by 2009 that thing was printed. It's probably about 2005. Listen, I've got the divorce, um, I've got the divorce papers to show um, to, 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 to show it as well. Sorry, Laura. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but it's, but it was, you know what it's like when you're inspired to do something and you're inspired to make a contribution you're inspired to it's every journalist craves words of affirmation every journalist craves an acknowledgement for the work that they yeah. do and that you don't always get that when you're writing a preview for a dundee versus motherwell match on a saturday but if you can turn around at the end and say listen do you know what i, I, I wrote that yeah. um it's 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 a kind of physical tangible evidence of, of 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 something that you've contributed to and contributed to i hope the narrative of 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 of, of the formation of rangers you know i hope that this book not just with my efforts but with robert mcelroy with david masons with robert ferrier with particular gordon and ian mccall and um, that people in years to come will look on this book the way that they did john allen's books yeah. and maybe think that it is a wee bit more historical rigor than john allen's books as well 
I hope so. No, I certainly think and hat off to you because just listening to you, you had to go to Twickenham, you had to go down to the, the Maritime stuff, you had to, to cram all that and, and write it and get it published and stuff. That's actually a short period. To, really to, really, to really to, short to do really, really short period, but um but when you're but but there was a there was a motivation there. But you're just still doing a full time job. Still doing a full time job, yeah. So you're doing it at nights, you're doing it, you know, you're a you're taking your days off, you know, you've got yeah. a new kid, you know, we Lewis was was you know three, four, five years old, whatever my boys same age was at the time as well. Um but it was an important story, Craig. You know, yeah. it, it, it was a story that needed to be told. And sometimes that's the most powerful motivation of all. It was a story that needed to be told. Yes, there's ego involved, right? You want to be the first to tell that story. But it's a great story. It's a great story that deserved to be that deserved to be told as well. Um and I, I think and, I think a lot of people spend their life trying to amalgamate money. But the, the, the actual driver isn't it to put more digits in their bank. What they try to create as a legacy, so that they're no longer here, somebody remembers them as that guy that done X, Y, and Z with their money. But there's not that many people in life that actually they, they put a legacy. That's a legacy, whether you like it or not. And you're right. In a hundred years' time, people will pick that book up, or the digital form that it takes, whatever you know, to make press a button and the whole thing goes in a, a 3D thing in their coffee table in 60 years' time, and it will be this Gary Ralston wrote this. It's Gary Ralston put this together. So I don't know if that, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, there was an ego and stuff, but you've actually created, you have created your legacy with, with that with that word. It, it, it was difficult in as much as Rangers were one of the first clubs in Scottish football. I, I know that clubs came and went and they rose in Queen's Park, you know, hats off to them, 1867. But Queen's Park had a very kind of in-depth history written in 1917 in their first 50 years. You know, the, the Allen one in 1922 was probably, you know, was, as I said, it was less, um, um, probably less um historically what's the word um incisive um but rangers being formed in 1870 always admired campbell and woods pat campbell and tom woods the book that they wrote for celtic and celtic's um anniversary in 1888 which is they they say themselves it's never been challenged Celtic from november 1887 you know in, in the church in the east end of, east end of glasgow but always admired that book um but it was difficult to, to bring that kind of historical rigour to a Rangers book simply because in 1872, the media, the newspapers weren't as um, weren't as advanced. You know, Scottish football was still in a kind of primitive soup, so people weren't particularly writing about Scottish football in the you know in, in in the newspapers. There was a lot of cricket and so on and so forth. You know, and a lot of rowing and things like that, but not a lot about football. So 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 Rangers was very very difficult book to research, and I know that Ian and Gordon said and rightly so the internet helps. You know, when you can go into Scotland's people and start looking online at birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates. But, you know, the, but you've also got to go out and do the, the, the hard yards as well, you know, and, and go into those dusty archives aye, aye, and, 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 and what have you, you know. Aye, it's, there's still going to be a certain degree of that, but the internet will help. I mean, if you're writing that book today, would that have been easier? Possibly. Listen, I make no claims that every single word in this book is historically accurate. They're as historically accurate as we can make them be. There's a part of me thinks that I hope that in five or ten years' time, some young guy comes along and says, "You know what, Gary Ralston, your book's garbage, and here's the reason why." Right? Maybe in the whole, maybe because, a chapter or two. Maybe a chapter. Or, okay, maybe a paragraph. All right, maybe a, <laughs> a maybe sentence. a sentence. Um, but, but do you know what I mean? Because if it inspires 
other yeah, yeah. other yeah. younger people to come along, younger people listen to me sound like Methuselah. Um, but if it inspires others to come along and say, do you know what? This is a this is an area of Scottish football that, that and, and the area of, of, of Rangers that really needs to be uh, really needs to be examined. And maybe there's always barnyard finds, you know. Maybe someday somebody will come in and say, Listen, I've got this white shirt. Um, and it might be from 1877. And by the way, that's not a light blue star out there. It really annoys me that people think that's a light blue star. How, how could you say that without any colour? Exactly. If you if you find out that it was a Rowan Club's badge or something, you can then find out if that Rowan Club's colours were the the, the, the the Rowan Club was um, was 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 uh, was Clyde. Was it Clyde? Clyde Rowan Club. So their their badge was that colour. But it, you know, but again. Is that kind of assumption? Maybe it is light blue. I I I don't know, but um, but so but as I say, maybe there'll be barnyard finds. Maybe somebody will go up to the attic and find that. Find that all. Find uh, one of the most heartbreaking stories I ever wrote was I, I did an interview once with the uh, the um, grandson or great grandson of a guy called David Danskin, who came from Burnt Island, and David Danskin formed Arsenal Football Club. Right? Um, he was a munitions um, you know guy went down to Woolwich and Woolwich Arsenal. So David and his we parked him in Burnt Island where he where he was brought up um, and he formed Arsenal and his great grandson said that to his his great his father's uh, great grandfather's great annoyance, heartbreak during the Second World War. He was living in Coventry, music munitions had moved him around the country, and he had a big huge chest full of Arsenal memorabilia going all the way back. It must have been things like minute books and shirts and you know, all these things, photographs, and uh, they were bombed out the house one night so they all went to the air raid shelters he says and when he came back the house had oh. been looted oh. and it had been gone and so all that arsenal history you know and there's a wee part of the romantic side of me says that that's buried somewhere and maybe just maybe it's unlikely i know but maybe just maybe there's a medal there's a there's a book there's a whatever there is that that features um that, 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 that features that 1877 shirt that's got that first ball whatever i don't know I, I mean, anything's possible through time. But again, back to you about, I, I'm not a great reader. Um, I don't like fiction. The Any books that I've actually read in the past have been, um, when I say about historical things, maybe JFK, that gets your attention, um, or autobiographies, um, and those just all football players, they get my attention because they're full of stories. But I had that book. For years before I read it, because I thought it's going to be, and on 1872, and the 3rd of March, we play it right, and just fact and dates and facts and dates and facts. I can remember all the stories about history when I was at school. I can't remember the dates, because the stories were an interest to me. And I remember I got the book as a gift, and it sat, because I thought, I remember going like that, and it's all dates. And I didn't read it for years. But then when I read it, it was a story jumping out the page at me. That's really kind of you to say, because um, it was important for me as an author, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as, a, as an author. I feel like that, um, it was that um, Ford Kiernan chewing the fat character, you know, ah. with, with a hat on. Um, I, um, I feel as if I should uh, fling a scarf across my shoulders here. And, uh, as an author, Ronald de Villiers. Uh, Ronald de Villiers, I, um, I feel like as an author. Um, no, um, it was important that we helped to bring the, guys back to life but it was also important to me to show the formation of rangers against the backdrop of glasgow growing as a city in the in the late 19th century and it was also important to me to show that 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 
you know, the only thing new in life is a history you didn't already know. Football players in the 1870s and 1880s were rascals, absolute rascals. You know, Rangers players were in that Athol Arms, which is kind of like the entry of where the subway is at Queen Street, you know, Buchanan Street, when you come out the side of Queen Street and go down, you know, just yeah. kind of sat there. You know, they were in there getting bevied all the time. Queen's Park were great um, professionals as well, um, the great amateurs, rather. Um, they, they were the same all the time. One of my favourite stories is Dumbarton won the Scottish Cup. And they all went down to Loch Lomond on the bevy. And when they're coming back up for Loch Lomond, they're going through Vela leaving, right? And they're all singing and bawling. This is 1884, right? Or whenever it was, the Martin won the Scottish Cup. And they're all with their wives and all that, all right? And they're in two or three of these kind of um, wagon things, you know, that I mean. And the Vela leaving punters, Vela leaving being a real stronghold of football, they've got buckets of slaughterhouse blood. And they've thrown them out of the thrown them out of the players and their wives when they're going through Villa leaving High Street, you know, and 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 a Rami ensued. So you know, there's you know fights with the crowd, not, and and that's why you know Tom Valen said when first Ibrox was opened in 1887, you know that 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 really. You know, Rangers were the victims of the kind of circumstance of where they could afford to pitch their grounds. So Kinning Park in the 1880s was no place for the faint-hearted. You know, it used to be a kind of hallowed cricket ground for Clydesdale or whoever it was, but it was a rough and ready community. So Rangers fans have never been naval gazers. You know, Rangers Rangers fans, you know, they're white working class, or at that time, white working class, you know, Protestant, you know, grafters, if you like, um, they're no ones for um, they no ones for poetry and literature, and that's kind of reflected and has always been reflected in and maybe some of the character of the the, the, the Rangers support, um, given the, where the club come from and where the club draws its support, um, while acknowledging and embracing the fact that the that the club. Um, like many others um, in society, um, you know, develops and matures as a, as a, as a years um, as the years go on. I, I think that it's a, a fine a fine line for just football, for any organisation, for any thing, any body. You've got to and respect um, be respectful of your past. If you can't celebrate it, it's kind of difficult. And then you've always got to remember your head in the future, and, and things change. Times change. You know, signing Morris Johnson was one of the things I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And the world continually evolves. But maybe it's because I'm getting older. I just find it harder. You know, there's that line of when do we stop celebrating the past? When do we have to embrace everything that's coming in in front of us? And where can the two meet? No, I'm not suggesting a minute. For a minute, we should be having the first team taught the words of the Billy Boys and all the add-ons. But Things like this, things like the Founders Trail, things like hopefully the museum, can assure that future generations will remember the things that are important. Now, I don't think you saying, you know, we're a Protestant club, then that was because that Cannon Park area would have been Protestant at the time. You know what I mean? And, but there'll be people pick up and that sort of stuff and go, ah, oh, there's Gary Rouse, Rangers a Protestant club. Rangers were a Protestant club, not now. The, 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 no, the ethos, the ethos of the club. That's 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 where they that's where they they, they drew the majority of their support from. Um, you know that 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 community, which was you know predominantly working class, and and, and 
Although, in fairness, the Mealy brothers um, used to go and watch Rangers at Glasgow Green. You know that um, Tom Mealy admitted that, in a, not admitted that, um, you know, revealed that in a piece that he did for one of the papers. It's in the book here in the 1920s, you know, that they used to enjoy going down to, you know, going down to, um, going down to Glasgow Green. But what I, I just think that Rangers um, at that time, um, they just, they, 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 particularly after the formation of of Celtic, who were the um, the club for the Catholic population in the in, in and around Glasgow, um, that was that was Celtic's community in the way that it was for for Hibs in the in the yeah. east as east as well. There's nothing controversial in in, in saying that. Um, so, but I I do think that, and and it, I take it back to one of the things that. I quite enjoy about the watching the women's team as well because I think that if you've got any for for new generations and Rangers are in the envious position now where the season tickets are sold out now nine ten years in a row or whatever it is, um, and I go and watch the women's team and what I see there is I see a lot of young dads and I see a lot of girls and there's more and more and I include myself in that as well um, with my daughter and there's more and more guys are going there with their kids. Um, and 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 they're, they're they're embracing uh you know it's a new generation of rangers fans you know it's a new generation um and i think that's great you know i don't i i i, I hear what you say right rangers are rangers celtic are celtic you know you can't you know okay you can maybe you can criticize the past you can criticize the songs that were sung you can you can you can criticize um all that but you can also acknowledge that we're living in a, a moving towards a new era new era yeah. i hope but nobody's going to come out and start singing kumbaya but where you have um you know a population and the support whatever that support is whatever the club is that's kind of you know embraces life as it is in the 2023 and Disney hark back 50 60 70 mm. years to, to, to a period where you know and you look at Northern Ireland for example where where people are trying to move on from 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 those same yeah. wretched times of the troubles yeah and funny as you say I was talking to again a pal of mine who was born over there during the troubles and I said to him see when you were 10 50 15 years old do you think it would ever end and he was like never in my life Never in my lifetime thought it would end. But um, going back to Rangers, I mean, I've heard it said before that because Rangers had a you know, the 15 year start and they were originally playing um, in Glasgow Green. There is not a hope, there's no anybody could tell you any other than at that time, if there was people going to watch Rangers, there would have been a mixed community. And Absolutely. potentially, because of where it was in the you know, demographic of that area at the time, there would have been. Irish dysphoria, RCs there, and that they would have just supported this club. Just football fans, football, there was a craze for association football, and and and, and I agree entirely with you. The whole kind of we're getting into kind of chartered, different chartered waters here, but the whole thing about the religion and the context of Rangers and Celtic for me, it kind of starts to become prevalent around about the kind of nineteen ten to nineteen twenties period, and there's never really been a lot done in the research of that. I think it's got probably a lot to do with kind of British nationalism versus Irish. Um, nationalism and identities and so on, particularly around the First World War. I, I don't know enough about the uh, about it to espouse any any more of a uh, any more of a theory than that. But up until then, I mean, you Rangers and Celtic fans, 
you know, uniting for Hamden riots when the SFA tried to stiff them in the, you know, the early 1900s for, for to have another replay in yeah. the Scottish Cup, you know. So something changed. Rangers, you know, went and sent a team to play the first first game against Celtic, you know. So so something changed, and I think it changed around about that 19, you know, 19. But both, both clubs, nobody can argue that both clubs didn't benefit from it. And even to this day, particularly more Rangers, Celtic seem more comfortable talking about their heritage and the founders and you know the Irishness of the club Rangers. I always feel don't really know where the, the line should be, whether what we can hold and what we can't. But you know, Celtic will bring out a third strip and it's got tricolour in there, and Rangers will bring out surprisingly around about the twelfth of July another orange strip. So both clubs do market it slightly different ways and but i do feel sometimes rangers feel especially the britishness thing you can you, you know, there's loads of things about the dna a rangers fan you can grab onto and celebrate without being abused of sectarianism mm -hmm. um and i'd like to see rangers do that a wee bit more to be fair but if there wasn't this thing i mean you go back to the turn of the century there was probably no bigger different crowds between rangers celtic and third Lanark, right the third line are not a team anymore. Well, they are. They're a kids fit a team now. That, mm -hmm. I know a few guys that start reformed that. But something made Rangers and Celtic the the, the, the driving teams in Glasgow. And you know, there's been two dozen teams that could have been those teams. But it ended up Rangers and Celtic. And I don't think you could ignore and say it probably was driven by sectarianism. People hating each other. But people want to celebrate their own. Like, oh, you're all Protestants together. And they're... It's fine. As long as you don't start throwing balls at each other, then you can have people in different camps. And then, you know, and I'm not saying that Rangers were a Protestant-only club for a while. I think Celtic would have been the same for a while, particularly when they started. They were started by the RC Church. I don't think there would have been a lot of uh, invitations for Protestants to join them in, in their committees. And you know, those things don't last any longer. But it'd be interesting to find out where it started. But do you think it's fair to say that if it wasn't for that, they would have been the third Lanners? Was that the difference between the third Lanners? The Queen's Parts as well, to a certain degree, who had a head start in them all. Suddenly Rangers and Celtic became these two driving forces, and why was it? I think probably the failure of Queen's Park to embrace professionalism when the Scottish League first started in 1890 gave Rangers an opportunity. Um, you know, and, and, and you've got to give the Rangers committees, um, you know, George Gowdy had to give them 30 quid, I think, about 1883 to keep the club afloat. Um, but there was so much hard work going on, the committees by people like Peter McNeil, that, you know, by 1887, Rangers have moved to the first Ibrox Park. By 1889, sorry, 1899, they're moving further up the street into Ibrox Stadium as we as, as, as we know it now. Um, the the, the 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 team improved this team started winning trophies and success begets success doesn't it and i think that um you know and i think that queen's park's failure to because queen's park up until that point the most successful club in scotland by far but they were left behind by the failure to and, and willingly left behind by the failure to embrace professionalism they wanted to stay amateur, and I think that that created a, a created a vacuum that Rangers, by dint of their organisation and by dint of the work that they had done behind the scenes over the years, meant that they were in a position to take that to take that role as the prominent club in Scotland. Yeah, again, I think that 
biggest thing about the whole story about that book and you know the, 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 what went on back then it was four boys soon to be five that were teenagers and when I walk up those marble staircases which I'm not to the pleasure of the honour doing for a while but hopefully that can return when I stand at the top and I start seeing the, photo, the, the paintings I think they turned into this and you stand at the top of the marble staircases and if you don't get it you know the, 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 the hairs are wrapped in the building and up those stairs almost every day and every day you get the same feeling of pride and you know the goosebumps and the, the hairs they were 15 and it, it became this to, to get from there 150 years later to where this club is now and I particularly I think the first 25 30 years were the made sure it was a success so the work that went into that and that drive is just it's a phenomenal story one of the things that i would that i would love to have um discovered is that um the marcus of law and the duke of argyle um became a patron of rangers very early on 1873 1874 and that was not unusual because there was a kind of benevolence that that came with, with the patriarchs at that time particularly around the clan system so he would have seen and i think he gave money to various clubs it was just part of his role as this kind of clan chief to um you know to to support if you like um manly and they were manly at the time because um, very few if any women involved in sport um these manly endeavors shinty football whatever it may well be, athletics. Um, and he gifted Rangers a couple of pounds. Um, and I got in touch with the Duke of Argyle and the the, the, the archivist to see if it would be possible to go up to Inverary just to have a look at his um, a look at his archives. And the word came back that it was, you know, that, that it was impossible because nothing had been collated, nothing had been uh, pulled together, nothing had been organised. So I, I still think that there's gaps. So, you know, I would love to have found... I would love to think that somewhere there's a letter from the from 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 probably be Peter McNeil to the to 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 the Duke of Argyle asking a Marcus Alon saying, look, can we, you know, will you be our honorary president? Will you be our honorary secretary? Um, and nudge nudge wink wink. That means sending us a couple of quid to get started, which he did. You know, so that link between Rangers and royalty. It's very much established from the very first. I mean, the, the Duke of Argyle was married to Louise, who's um, Queen Victoria's daughter. You know, she lived up in Rosneath uh, up until her death in the early thirties. You know, Lake Louise in um, in Canada is named Sorry, after her. Yes, yeah, named after uh, it's named after um, the Duke of because he was the first uh, governor of Canada. Went over there in eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies, I think it was. So. There's, there's kind of links with the royal family and the kind of royalty and the establishment, if you want to go that way, from the very early days of, of Rangers. So you had these boys starting starting a club for nothing other than reasons of altruism. They just wanted to play football, you know. But they began to get good people around them. They began to attract, um, you know, the um, benevolent supporters that would that, that that would help them grow despite the mishaps of the early early 1880s when they um, took the took took their eye off the ball and had to be bailed out with George Gowdy. Um it's 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 a great oh, story. Is it, is it any wonder because they were still kids? 
Still you know, kids. Peter uh, Campbell dies, um, sadly, in about 1883. William Macbeth heads off the, um, very shortly. Peter and Moses is there, but Moses is more of a football player than he is an administrator, so he kind of disappears off the scene in the late 1870s, early 1880s as well. Um, you know, but others come to the fore as well. Um, you know, and in years to come, it would be people at like William Milton that would take the uh, um, that would take the mantle. People at like George Gowdy. So, you know, they, so they so they have this brilliant ability to to reinvent themselves um, and to attract fresh blood that would keep the club on the on the upward uh, on the upward spiral and never ever underestimate, as I said earlier on, the influence of Tom Valance. You know, he was a colossus on the field and off. So, what happens next? I mean, the book. Chronologically, which year does that end? The book is. The, 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 I, I thought that there was nothing to be gained beyond taking the book beyond, beyond about eighteen ninety nine. Move to the first Ibrooks. Um, thereafter, it becomes just a you know just as you said, and then in nineteen o four, and then in nineteen o five. So I think the book sits as it sits, and maybe in years to come there will be new nuggets of information that come um, and new things that are revealed and new things that, that 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 bear witness to what may have happened back in 1872 or, uh, and going into 1873 that would force a rewrite but just now the 150th anniversary edition is, is probably in terms of the history of rangers early years history of rangers is, is is as complete as i think it can be it's the book of which i'm proudest it's the book of which i'm happiest it's the book which i think is best written it's the book i think has got the most um pertinent and, and and the right information in it as well um and i think that it sits i hope rather that it sits as a as a, as a as a testament to the to the to the five boys um, that it helps to bring their story to life, and I hope that for Rangers fans, if they pick it up um, and they have a look at it, it maybe just get, you know serves as a wee reminder that um, you know just of, of 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 the very very humble origins of the, of the club. It really did come from nothing. I've just been thinking about something, and this often happens to me when I'm doing these podcasts. So bear with me. I done something in 2012 that I'd never planned in my life. And often said to myself, why the hell did I do it? And I think, I'm not saying it's that, that thing, right? But it's certainly probably the story I told you earlier, but I had that book and never read it for a while. And it probably wasn't long before the formation of Sons of Truth that I actually read that book. Now, it is possible that if I hadn't read that book, I might not have had as much inspiration because... It certainly, it, it, and it, the thing that sunk into me was they were boys. <laughs> that was a big thing for me, and it became this thing. So that book's probably had a bigger influence in that part of my life, or after that part, than, than I probably ever actually thought about until we were sitting talking about, because I must have got that book about 2009, 10, and I probably no read it to 11, 12, and then... I never read it after Sons of Truth was formed. So I must have read it in the sort of window the year before. It's, um, it's really, really kind of you to say that. I think that, you know, we've seen in recent years the popularity of programmes such as uh, Who Do You Think You Are, etc., etc. And there was a degree of that in this as well, you know, going back and going through the dust, dusty archives. I think that in 2023 or 2009, even the 10, 15 years that it's been published, we live in such a fast-paced society. Nothing stays 
the same for very, very long. You know, the media is constantly evolving and changing. Stories are constantly evolving and changing. You know, you get 20 second sound bites about Andy Halliday's girl and then 20 second um, sound bites about another wag who's, you know, ordered a Starbucks, right? It's so I think that people look for for a bit of certainty and a bit of comfort in the things around the things that mean most to them in their lives. And the bottom line is, understandably, Rangers mean so very much to so very, very, very many people. And Rangers fans came close to losing their club. And if it hadn't been for the efforts of yourself and Bomber and you know many others. Too many others, um, Dave King, Douglas Park, John Bennett, all these guys, George Latham. You know, they might not have had a club to support. And so I think that 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 having this book in some way, shape, or form just reminds Rangers fans, I hope, of just where the club came from. You know, and just the, the the spirit and the endeavor and the enthusiasm um, and the entrepreneurial skill that these kids had to show, in addition for most of them being great footballers, to form a club that would last beyond the six months or the twelve months that most of them did at that time. And I think there's something comforting in a world that can be chaotic for people at times to have a book like this to reflect back on at a different time, but just to acknowledge just where the club has come from. Yeah, it's um, it's an incredible book. And as I say, I think I probably owe you a, 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 a fair bit of credit for inspiring me. Because I, and I've not, I've ever thought about it before. Chronologically, you wrote that book, came out in 09, we'd have probably got it as Christmas presents, nine or 10. I, as I say, I've done that. Well, for me, I didn't read it after the formation of Sons of Struth, so it must have been in that window probably 11 to 12. And it probably did drive me. If I hadn't read that book, would I have done? I don't know. Here's Sliding a question. doors. Here's a question. I think Charles Green read it. Craig, I don't do th think so. Do you think, do you think Craig White read it? I wouldn't have thought so. A mate of mine's had to go and get the an interview with White to for the forward to the official history of Rangers book that came out in 2012. And he came back and I say saying, How how'd you get on? He says, Charlatan. Couldn't he spell Rangers and knows nothing about them? No, they wouldn't have read it. Well, Gary, I can't thank you enough. Again, it's you've got a man with an interesting career, and that's the type of people I like to talk to because there's always stories behind the, the stories. So I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, before we finish up, is there anything you want to add? Anything that you you know you, you hadn't spoke about that you wanted to? No, everything's fine. Appreciate it, Craig. Thanks very much. You had fun. I wander down memory lane and I tell you what a meander it was. It was like uh, Davy Cooper on the left wing, eh? In and out and in and out. And hopefully, hopefully there's an end delivery as well. Awesome. Thanks, you know, Thanks for All, All the right. best. Cheers. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.